Hey guys, Adam here. This is episode 22 of Stonehall Sessions. Today we bring uh, Dream Boy all the way from LA. Uh, we sat down with her from on Skype, Riley and I, and uh, had a great little chat. Her album Endings is kind of, we get into it in the podcast, it's a, I think I describe it as hazy. It's a, it's a little bit... Uh, no, you described it more or less as depressing. Well, it is. It, it, it's sadness music. But again, so is all the... Any of my sort of permanent records, records that I go back and listen to year after year, day after day, day after day, uh, time after time, are albums that remind me of time after time, the song. Mm-hmm. The ones that are very, very sad, uh, ones that sort of force you to feel a certain emotion that our society doesn't really force you to feel anymore. It doesn't, you're not supposed to be unhappy at any point. You're always supposed to have like, oh, I got a new like on Instagram. Oh, somebody sent me a penis on Snapchat. Oh, thank oh. God my heart isn't broken like hers. Yes, and then you take time for a second and you you slow down and you listen to something like Endings and it sort of, it forces you to consider feelings that we're not supposed to have anymore. Tinder divorces you from the ability to sort of make a connection with someone and Endings sort of asks you to feel something for a little bit. And I really, really, I, I, I like that. I think that's important. Well, I, first of all, I know a lot of people that have connected over Tinder and <laughs> one way or another. I thought it was a really good interview. Uh, I, you know, I, she was a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, I got to really appreciate her album the more and more I listened to it. Uh, you know, she's got a lot of good things going on. I think from what we discovered through this podcast interview, uh, she has a lot of goals that she wants to do with her musical career and it's going to be interesting to hear what comes uh, from dream boy in the future yeah because it won't be expected i don't think no i don't think anyone's it sure shocked the shit out of us <laughs> whoa <laughs> episode 22 this is it i think you guys are gonna enjoy it let's do it this is dream boy
pretty quick time as well. I mean, the EP came out in, I think it was May, was it? May 2016? Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, within a month, like, that's pretty good to get that kind of recognition overseas and, like, France, Taiwan, and wherever. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, it's very, very encouraging. Mm -hmm. Flattering as well. I guess I wouldn't use the word flattering because I feel like, to me, it, like... It suggests a condescent, like some, a little bit. I don't know, but it's definitely very encouraging for me. Like, keep making music if people like it all over yeah. the world. Then I'm like, oh, that's great. Stupid idiot, Adam. Fuck you. <laughs> no, you're not an idiot. No, <laughs> I'm just I'm like extra sensey with the words I use. Yeah, that's something we should probably get into. Is there any plans to tour overseas with this, or is that? Uh, or that's actually I just actually got an email about that, so maybe we'll figure that out. I mean, it is an EP, right? So it's like it's not a full length album. So touring it would be like probably a support tour, which makes sense. I'm hesitant to do those unless they're like really good deals, you know, because I've toured. I mean, unless not good deals, like just things that would make sense. Like I don't want to go over there and like play to no one. Yeah. I'd rather just wait in that case until like I have a full length and build up a following. Now, this is something interesting that um, we don't always get on. Uh, you seem like you've you've been around long enough that you sort of shed all the naivete about uh, how touring, how promotion, how uh, this sort of the album cycle or EP cycle or uh, like when did that start to change for you as opposed to just being like if i release this to the world everybody will love it and i'll have a hundred thousand soundcloud followers into oh, this sort of like well business. first of all probably like earlier when my, i was like raised by my mom because she's just such a such a realist but i i just knew that because i've been with trust for three years now and you know i've seen their i joined them when they were already established as a band mm-hmm so I, I learned a lot just by like being with my bandmate, being friends with him. He's like in a lot of ways a mentor to me. Yeah, I just kind of see like just touring and like the whole process and seeing how it is. And it's just you get immersed in, in a sort of industry. So you learn the way it is. So that's why I was like, oh, I will self-release this. But it's not like I think I'm going to it's going to blow. But self-releasing is hard. So if you're going to do that, you should at least get some good press you know otherwise it's like <laughs> screaming into an empty void yeah and i feel like that's one of the saddest and more uh, like i found a website the other day and it was uh it just compiles bands that have never sold anything on Bandcamp, and you can go through and listen to it <laughs> and once in a while you find a gem but other t uh, like a gem that they just they were they're great at music or like you know this guy's a he's a great bluegrass player but he just didn't put any thought into promotion but other times it's just like the, the the weirdest or like guys who are just like hey i just bought a modular synthesizer here's a nine hour ambient album and you're like uh no i'm okay but what, what was the biggest thing that changed for you or what was the biggest thing that uh, your bandmate taught you about being a realist in in touring in, in being like a working mu musician well just how hard he works he's a very hard worker he doesn't slack off he's just a very inspiring person to you know work with i think that people a lot of people have starry eyes about what it is to be a musician or especially um, an independent artist the reality is it's like it's being a business person it's also like doing a lot of freelance work it's being a freelancer essentially 
And yeah, if you're somebody who doesn't like kissing ass or then you're going to do a lot of work on your own, which requires like nine to fiving it. And that's fine with me because like I never liked working for the man per se. So and I think a lot of people also have misconceptions about like how important the people you know are, because like I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, if this person hooks me up, then I'm good to go. But it's like, well, is your music good enough to go? Because, yeah, you have to like make sure that all of your ends are covered. I think essentially you just have to like commit to doing to working like as if it's a job. That's interesting. Uh, uh, how often do you run across people who whose music is maybe not good enough? Because this happens to, now that we're growing in popularity, this happens to us a lot where uh, we'll get people who have sort of, they've worked on their music enough, but it's clearly not the prime thing. Like they're, they're better at marketing their music than they are at making music. Well, More- I mean, it's subjective because like, I don't know. I don't know what makes, I, I don't really know. Like I couldn't answer that, but I think... Yeah, so are you saying that a lot of people, like, reach out to you guys and you think it's, like, premature before they're, like, ready to really... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get we get some releases that are a little half-cooked or they want to come on and talk about sort of their SoundCloud updates that are sort of a demo that they recorded on iPhone. And it's, mm-hmm. more of a, it's more of a one-hit blunder. I should probably take some of my old stuff off of SoundCloud. I don't... I didn't put any of this stuff on until it was, like, definitely ready to share. I see everything that I release into the world as like a reflection about who I am. So if I'm going to like put something into the cultural sphere, I want it to be up to my standard. So that's that's how I gauge if something's ready. But I don't know how other people gauge it. Maybe they don't see things as being as permanent as I do. And that might be a good uh, starting place to sort of go into how do how did Dream Boy first come about and and what what's the story behind that i had moved to montreal about four years ago fresh out of university and knew nobody so i would spend a lot of time like walking around the city and being on my computer and stuff and then i had um a roommate who was a musician and I just would like sit in my room like playing really droney guitar hoping (laughs) that he would ask me to come and track something with him and then he did he was like hey what you're doing is really cool do you want to come in the studio and like lay something down I was like oh my god yes (laughs) and then I was like I'm not sure if I can even play I don't even know if I know what I'm doing and then he was like no yeah do it do it and so he was very like encouraging for me to take my creativity to the next level and like and put things down in in a recorded form and so how long was it from there into the first uh first dream boy recordings uh very soon after that because we were joking around a lot at the time and made these like really emo songs and then we decided to screw around with well we needed to make two i wanted two hundred dollars and if you got into pop montreal (laughs) you make two (laughs) hundred dollars so we were like we put together this like in like little um ep thing that we sent to them 
they thought we were from Laval, which is like this kind of not beautiful place. Yeah, it's just like on the suburb. outskirts of Montreal. Kind yeah, of. exactly. And it, they didn't know who we were. But anyway, we got in. So that was the first like recording. Did you yeah. do that thing? I've done this a few times uh, to get into places where I say, oh, I've been to a whole bunch of festivals that may or may not actually exist. But it's just so obscure that it'd be impossible to yeah, Google. There's so many festivals nowadays. You can make anything up. and nobody... Like the Peterborough Drone Festival oh, is still going strong one of my on favorite. my resume. One of my favorites. But <laughs> uh, last year, I didn't even get into Pop Montreal. They rejected me. And then the crooks at Sonic Bids like r- took my money away. And I was like, this is the biggest ripoff I've ever been involved in. Well, yeah, how much does it cost to apply? Well, I'm like kind of a dum-dum sometimes and didn't realize that like, oh, they should ask you to play. Duh. But like they have that whole like system of taking money from people who I guess from those people who aren't really like half bait or like who aren't really like ready to perform like those people like pay to they pay to apply and like try to get into the festival and I did that so and (laughs) I got rejected that's how they fund these festivals (laughs) so yeah exactly so well I got rejected and then I was like those guys are so dumb because like last year I opened for them sorry I opened for trust and played with trust and this year they were like <laughs> rejecting me and I'm like you guys are not you guys are out to lunch but whatever <laughs> I, I I think the closest thing we've got around Ottawa is there's like a it's it, what do they call it like a shower show like you, or a bringer show you have to bring enough people oh, and yeah, those yeah. people have to say that they and it, and they do it in like this tiered system so you go up against a different band and then if you win by having more people come out you go up to the next thing and you, that you get to the top mean. Yeah, you get to the top and you realize, oh, this is just a way for the guy who's running Ritual Nightclub to make money. It's not really, it's not really like a band contest, even though they market it as sort of like American Idol. But uh, so let's let, let's let's dive into uh, endings a bit, and just endings is a is I, I would say it's a very appropriate name uh, for the EP because each song just kind of feels like something has either ended or died or is it is just it just doesn't make me feel good about myself uh, i i i'm wondering sort of how did how did writing for this first start up oh oh i'm sad to hear it doesn't make you feel good about yourself because it's supposed to make you feel i don't know it, i don't know it's not such an asshole riley actually no it's oh, no, not no, supposed I, to do anything it's if that's how it makes you feel yeah i understand yeah the writing started a while ago, one of the songs I remember trying to track in Jamaica when I was with my family there on holiday and it didn't work, but um, <laughs> that was years ago. So yeah, some of the writing started two years ago for like On That Dark World Morning, that song I wrote yeah. two years ago. And then some of the other ones were like a process of jamming out. So And then finally they like formed into a real like, I, I took for one song, like, Only Friend was a melody that I'd written when I was, like, in uh, living in Thornhill, Ontario with my parents. So that's, like, <laughs> an old melody. But then I, like, put to, like, new track kind of thing and then, like, developed it. So, yeah, the writing started a while ago. And how did you bring these uh, sort of four songs together? I mean, and I should clarify, it's not that I feel bad. It's just, it's, it, it's sad music, but that's the music yeah. that I love most. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. Um, no, I'm not offended. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, how did sorry? How did the four songs come together? 
How did you know that these four were going to be part of endings? How did you know? Like, when did you conceive of sort of the idea of endings? Yeah. Was there was there like a always going to be a theme to it? Is there a theme to it? Yeah, I guess um, when I, I had toured a lot with uh, Trust in, I think it was last year or the year before. They kind of blend together. But in those years, we did a lot of touring. So I was spending a lot of time on the road and then ha- having these like pockets of time in Montreal. So after we finished touring for quite a while, I was like, okay, well, now I want to release something of my own for real, like kind of work on it, pro- like how I was saying, like, professionally or like not as a joke to get into pop montreal type thing (laughs) um so yeah then the songs sort of percolated and reveal themselves as like really suiting each other and then i was like well this sounds like a really good mix of songs to release as like an ep and is it tough when you're touring with someone with another band when you're when you're uh, a piece of one band to try and develop your own sort of style to it or was that something that you were never worried about uh something i'm I'm never worried about because i just let things happen so i'm not like consciously trying to like put a sound on something you know Mm -hmm. and if you just let things happen then you don't need to worry about getting too much of something else in there Yeah, yeah yeah um so tell us a little bit more about what goes into the writing of your songs like for example uh your first song on that dark cold night was it uh, on that dark cold morning. Dark cold morning. I'm sorry. I'm looking yeah. half half the title in front of me. So yeah, like what goes into like, what went into writing that song? Like what uh, would you say that was about? Like was is this the one that you wrote while in Jamaica or tried to track in oh, Jamaica no. with your friends <laughs> or with your parents? I tried or? to I tried to like record it on Ableton at the top, but no, I wrote it in Montreal. And actually, I like that song a lot because it is a song that just came like. It's as if I didn't even write it. Like, it just kind of, like, I was a vessel to that song. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And so I felt, that's why I like it so much, because it came from something that is not even a conscious space within me. So when it starts to flow out of you, like, sort of, what's your writing process? Does music come first? Does uh, sort of a sound design, I like, sort of, uh, I need to sound like this? Because I would say all the tracks on endings kind of have like a a haze to them. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. it's, everything's kind of fuzzy at the edges in a a really good, like, it it reminds me of sort of uh, when I listen to Shlomo. There's like, I like that guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that makes sense because life gets hazy, right? Because it translates. But yeah, the process. I mean, with that song, like I said, I just started singing it. And then all the words and the melody came. And then I put a beat and the synth to it after. But then on some other songs, maybe like a a sample came first. And then I was like, you know, singing on top of that or... So it's never the same like writing process, like lyrics before medley or medley before I think lyrics. generally melody first, because I take a lot of bike rides and sing. And that's the way that a lot of song ideas come about. But um, so, yeah, generally I'll have like an idea. And I mean, some uh, a couple of these songs were co-produced with my roommate. So they were or not not quite co-produced all the way. But yeah, definitely one of them was co-produced. And uh, so, like, a lot of his input was... Which one was that? Influenced. Uh, endings. Endings, okay. So he was the one who kind of, like, got you, as you were saying earlier, like, kind of 
convinced you to like let's start get your music out there like you heard you play that drone guitar in your bedroom and he wanted to record with you and like just sort of gave yeah he was just yeah exactly very like supportive and you know when you're young and you want to start out you don't really know where to or how or what Mm -hmm. and and, like it's very nice it's really just one one foot after the other because like if you do something small but it's nice to have somebody there to encourage you yeah, I was just going to say that any kind of encouragement you can get at any age is going to be beneficial to your like artistry. Or yeah, or anything like I guess that, so. humans need that. Humans need encouragement. <laughs> I, I can because I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not all of them. Maybe some people don't. There's a lot of people that are just very ambitious and can do these things on their own and just have that mindset and go forward with it. And like, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it. Punch it out. Whereas others, you almost need that kick in the ass to be like come on, you got something good going here and let's see what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. But I would say besides like maybe Prince, everybody else who, who presents themselves like that as, is, lying to, is lying to the world. They're putting on a front. They're getting inspiration. They're getting encouragement from something, whether it be online sales, whether it be uh, like there's something that's driving them forward. I, 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 Paul, Paul Simon said that like songwriting is 1% inspiration and 99% uh, like just perspiration. No. Uh, yeah, Taylor Swift <laughs> says the same thing. Oh, God. Okay, never mind. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not true. I wouldn't say it's 1% to 99. I would say it's like, it's like a percent. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to have to do this boring stuff. And then you're like, oh, this is fun again. Because then you like do something in the boring stuff that lights that spark again. And you're like, you know, it's like a ball. It's like a mix of fun and games, which like life is. I feel like you can't just have it be like, you know, inspiration 100% of the time because then you would be just so distracted. <laughs> you'd be Good like, point. what am I going to do? Am I going to do this one or that one? Or, oh, my God, you'd probably like go bungee jump and like go crazy. Well, I think that that speaks to just sort of the wasteland of uh, Ableton files that I have on my computer where it's sort of it was that it was essentially just that one percent of inspiration. And then I got bored and then I was like, oh, OK, that's a that's an interesting sounding kick drum or synthesizer or something like that. Uh, and then I just leave it be and I come back two weeks later. And it's just like oh, I got nothing. I got nothing for this. So I just give up. What what keeps you going on with the, what kept you going on with these songs on endings? just the desire to put something out I um yeah I felt like it's time for me to like have something under my belt and to see if I like just curious to like put something out so I wanted I had like a deadline I was like it has to be done by this time which is what made me not be distracted (laughs) so how long did it take you to write this album in the part where I really decided to make an EP probably like five months it took longer to um, record and mix everything and master, and then and then I did videos, which I wanted to like do the videos and have them ready before the uh, release of things. Mm-hmm. So the whole process kind of took longer than like about more or less a year All right. to get like the whole package ready to go. Now that's something interesting that I feel like a lot of up-and-coming musicians may not realize is that it's not enough to sort of have that that piece of music that's really good that's not the only thing that goes into it you also have to be sort of your business manager your own business manager your own uh sort of coordinator for music videos uh, coordinator for production getting it all on cassette or usb or cd or vinyl or whatever it is that you're going to do 
what you set off doing and recording in three months or five months or a year or whatever may actually take double or triple that time to actually see the light of day. How how's it with something like endings where it, it it's very I I would say each song is very very emotional each like yes. emotionally charged. How do very how emotional. do you how do you keep that same passion? that you had when you're writing and recording this sustained throughout that sort of back-end process that maybe people aren't so aware of? Well, I think that because I was just so... I think it's because I just really like that world that the songs live in was the world I was living in at the time, so I wasn't that bored of it. Hearing it come to life when I was mixing it really got me inspired and kind of gave me ideas for videos and concepts and uh, for art direction. So like, it's not just like, like if I got tired of mixing, then I would focus on maybe like photos or like the video, which is why I always talk about how fun it is to have um, a multidisciplinary project. If you are going to make concepts for videos and like collaborate with your director, then it's going to be a lot more fun and sustainable than just like sitting in a recording studio and being like, when is this going to be done? You know, but like, yeah, I definitely got to a point where I was like, oh, I just, I don't want to like hear this song anymore. Or like this one line where I'm like trying to sing it good or, you know, but generally it was very like inspirational, the whole process. I think my favorite was mixing it because then you really see those tracks like come to life. You see, yeah, you see them like how you envision them, which is, you just have to get the levels right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I tweeted out something on the Stonehall uh, Sessions Twitter account the other day about how uh, Isotope has like a, it's, it's a whole tutorial just on EQ and compression. I sent it to a few of my friends and they all found it very boring, but I, I don't think they realized that that is like sort of essential to the basis of any mix. Like if you don't have these two skills laid down, doesn't matter how good your reverb or delay is. I would watch that tutorial. I find that stuff like kind of interesting. Very interesting, actually, because it's a it's kind of a niche thing to get into. If you become a pro at that stuff, like you can get paid the big bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of those things. Like, when did you start getting interested on that on the production side of things? Because it's not, I would say, like mixing uh, and producing are not they're not intuitive. The, you can't just pick up a DAW like you would a guitar and sort of hammer out sort of this is the proper way to do things. There are fundamental ways that. You know, you, you kind of have to cut certain frequencies for vocals that kicks need very, like, a lot of and things like that. How, when did you start getting interested in just that side of things? It's really frustrating to have something in your head and not being able to execute it. So just in that, like, I hate that feeling of being like, it feels like you're handicapped in a way because you're like, oh, I have this, like, really good idea, but I don't know what to do. Or how to how to do it. So then you're like, oh, I want to learn how to do it so that I don't have that frustrating feeling anymore. <laughs> and so, hey, like, what was that development period like uh, for you? Because I know uh, I have, I, I released, back when I did ambient music, I, I did like one EP and I hadn't heard of what EQ was. And then I, mean, I look back I on that now and I'm like, oh, no. I still, it's, it's, I feel like things are always a learning process. I'm still like very much a beginner in everything I do. I learned so much uh, mixing with Pat, who helped me mix the record. Mm-hmm. And he was such a pro. Patrick Gregoire at Top Mix Studios in Montreal. Yeah, I think that 
it's just going to be like a lifelong process. And that's, that's chill. Cause that's like what makes things fun and, uh, keeps you going. But that's something interesting that I find like a lot of people, what's the saying? Oh, the second saying of the podcast that, uh, perfection is enemy of the good. How do you, uh, like if you, if you constantly try strive for something to be perfect, you'll never release something that'll be good. And how, like, I find a lot of uh, artists that I talk to or that I work with will sort of they they never put like a goalpost in the sand. They never say this is what I want to achieve. It's always moving with new mm-hmm. things that they learn. How did how did you know with endings that this was sort of where you wanted to be with your music at this time? Oh, just once it kind of felt right intuitively, and then even still, like I went back and remixed a kick on on that dark hole morning, like right like the day before the. EP was about to be released because I was like, there's just something that isn't sitting right with me mm-hmm. about this kick. So I was like, let's fix it. And, and now I prefer it. So <laughs> yeah, it was like too muddy. So now I'm like, oh, it's perfect. But nothing is ever perfect. And I could change things about each and every one of these songs. But then it's like, let's just leave those be and just write something new altogether. It was just a feeling, like a ballpark feeling of like, oh, that feels good. Let's move on. So you wouldn't advise the sort of Life of Pablo way of releasing things, wherein it's like, out for... Like, what did he do? I love Kanye. I just downloaded that record yesterday. Well, you'd have to check which version of the record you you downloaded, because he constantly keeps taking songs off of it and putting them back on. Oh, he's and, crazy. And like remixing songs, or like... Actually, not like doing like, oh, this is the Skrillex remix, like actually remixing it in a different way or like bring on other people who had previously sung on it, but didn't get the first cut of the album. And now they're on to sit the second album. And it really speaks to sort of... Maybe, yeah, sorry, what were you saying? Oh, it's just, it it speaks to sort of the way music has moved into a streaming culture, wherein there's no permanence for what he does. He can take that down and then put a new version up of it. And then that's the version yeah. of it is because oh, there's you heard no... the latest remix of fucking whatever. Lion <laughs> well, like, that's cool. Stuff. It's probably really uh, confusing for Kanye's mind, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that's interesting. It also is kind of like, it puts a spotlight on like the artist process and stuff and like their internal state. It's like obviously speaks to an emotional part of him. I mean, I'm kind of um, deconstructing his emotions right now, but I feel like he mustn't be. He's obviously well, we only have an like, hour <laughs> focused person or I know he's very focused, but he obviously has a lot of ideas. He's probably like an example of what a hundred percent of inspiration will lead you to. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Yeah, he's. I think he's so inspiring. I especially love how he samples things and how he like really puts breathes new life into like old samples. Yeah, like on that song. I don't know what mix I have, but that song famous on that record. And then he has that song, bum be dum bum bum. You know that one, the mm-hmm. uh, MC from uh, Kingston. Yeah, and then it just like sounds so good, but it like there's something minor going on in the background and it's so it's just like totally like flips it on its head i love it yeah i love when he does stuff like that he's so cool i guess like maybe maybe i'm just so old school with this like i sort of i i I love listening to a record and just thinking you know why 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 did they do it this way why uh, what was going on in the studio that day some like what was uh, what was uh, what was running through their heads and it's sort of this impenetrable the front that they put up uh whereas with life of pablo you can see oh 
maybe fan reaction wasn't so good on this song or streams weren't so good on this song. So he took it down and he redid it and put it back up. I think that takes away some of the mystery and some of the some of the things that I love about an album. And maybe it's just me being an old curmudgeon and not realizing that this is new media. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what his goal is. Like, my goal is like always movement, at least at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I would get to a point. I mean, comparing myself to Kanye West is really funny, but I don't know if like there would ever be a point in my creative life where I'm like, I just have to keep redoing this one album. But like, or you'd eventually become George whatever. Lucas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I just like I like movement and growing. So I'm kind of like I'm always and I'm a Gemini. So I always want to like finish uh, things and move on to the next thing. You know, you know how it is. Gemini life. <laughs> I will have to consult my calendar. Astrologer. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm not like that into astrology, you know. Uh, and, and so uh, with this stuff, how it, it, it seems to be such a place and of a time. When you are working on new music now, do you find that it's still that endings is still overshadowing it? Or have you completely sort of compartmentalized that as a place in a time and moved on with a, a new sound? Or what's your creative Probably, process? Yeah, the latter. Yeah. Compartmentalized it. Yeah. That was very much like, a, like I said, a world that I was living in at the time. Now my life is different. I'm not living in Montreal. I'm not in love with people. Or I'm actually the most independent I've ever been. In terms of, like, lately, my reality is that I am, like, it's just me and my wheels, like, me and my car, and that's my mm-hmm. best friend right now. Yeah. And I'll, like, just drive all around L.A. and chill or whatever. But, yeah, also, I'm into, uh, I kind of want to make more of, like, a country type thing. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, never saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's probably the way that I'm going to end up doing it is going to be, like, some kind of trap country like i don't know i don't know how it's gonna actually sound but what does that even mean i've been obsessed with country for like years that's how i learned to sing is by emulating a lot of country singers now like what would be your sort of touchstones for country musicians like who are the people that you look to for that um, well, Hank Williams Sr., I emulated him singing um, and yodeling, so that taught me. I love Hank great. Williams Sr. I yeah. Love him. yeah. I'm pretty much into all of the Hanks. Um, <laughs> I love Hank Sr., Jr., and the third, but I like yeah. the third and the first the most. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody likes Hank Jr. It's the same. I love, yeah, yeah, I like him, but he, I'm not obsessed. Like, I'm, if I'm in a drinking mood, then I'll play his music, sure. you know? Yeah, for sure. Or if I go up to my trailer for a day, then I'll, like, turn on country state of mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> George Jones is an amazing vocalist yep. whom I love to emulate. And, like, Emmylou Harris said this thing. I, I'm, I love her a lot, although I never really emulated her voice, but... She said this thing that was like, your style is born out of your limitations. And pretty much like her style, she said, was born out of her trying to copy Joni Mitchell, but <laughs> not being able to, which turned into like Emmylou's own style. Yeah, that's interesting. So I like to think of it that way. I like try to copy a country singer to the T, but because I can't to the T, it turns into my version yeah. of that. So you're only and like Charlie you, Pride did the same thing with yeah, yeah. George Jones. Yeah, so. 
So do you really try to emulate these older country musicians as opposed to the newer ones like that we're hearing nowadays? On? Oh, the newer ones. I really love Miranda Lambert. I think she's got an amazing voice. She does. She does. Yes. She did this version. She did a cover at the Grand Ole Opry of Honky Tonk Girl by uh, by Loretta. Oh, Loretta Lynn. She's like mm-hmm. my number one. Probably coal, coal miner's daughter. Like, yeah, we have a similar timbre in our like voice. That was giving myself a compliment, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I have what I meant to say is I have the easiest time copying her. All right, but she, I love singing her songs because she has such a perfect balance of like grit and and beauty and trill and belt, and uh, I love her lyrics too. They're like badass. She's so badass. Well, that would be the one thing that I think country music can, at its best, trumps. Uh, so many other different genres in is just their ability to express uh, a tale. Uh, and is, what what is it from country and what is it from, uh, did you say country trap? What is it from trap that you would like to bring together into this new uh, new music? I just love beats. I love like when like in hip hop songs, the beat will drop and you're just like in such a good mood. Um <laughs> And I like, in country, I just like the soul of it and the way it makes you feel when you're singing it. George Jones can sing such a basic song, and then all of a sudden he'll, like, do this crazy vocal trill, and you're like, this this is so beautiful. Like, it has so much emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's so unique in, in, like, his soul. So, yeah, I love that. But I don't know if it'll be, like, exactly those that mix. All I know is that I always am so inspired by hip-hop surprisingly to myself all the time i'm always like this is so dope actually i love in la there's a radio station that i listen to all the time and it plays all the new hip-hop tracks it's so fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm always inspired by those two things so is this a project that you're obviously it's something you want to do but is this something you've been working at already like have you been writing any music for the country trap we'll call it or I've been writing. Yeah, no, I've been writing a lot of music. Yeah. Um, my plan for the end of the year is actually to start recording it. So. Wow. So that's going to be the next one we can look forward to. Yeah, and that will probably be a full length. That's. I I don't know if it'll be under the Dream Boy name though. Like I said, I'm into compartmentalizing ideas. (laughs) Well, I just see things as like projects. Yeah, and is that something that it, I, I feel like that's mo- a more modern uh, something that's sort of come about uh, is that you sort of have to make sure these days where sort of the the feedback lo- loop between fan and uh, creator is so short it can just be like a Twitter address. Fans sort of expect you to do the same thing over and over again, and if you're going to do something different, you have to do it under a new moniker. Do you do you feel that pressure at all? With sort of uh, or working in trust, it always has to be that trust sound. Or working with Dream Boy, it always has to be that Dream Boy sound. I don't, but I could see how people would, especially if they are more established. Like, I don't have that kind of pressure because I don't have that many people who know me. Mm-hmm. I'm still, like, uh, in the early stages of my career. I could see how people would be, like, yeah, I mean, a band like Trust, they've put out two records, I guess two full-length records, and people are always like, oh, this is great, but blah, 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 the first one, or oh, this one's <laughs> better, you know? And I'm like, well, it doesn't, like, whatever. If that's what you want to vocalize, then that's fine. As a fan, like, I guess the biggest 
band that I or the band that I was like a huge fan of and I was into all their records for different reasons was the Mars Volta. Oh yeah. And yeah. I never was like to them, oh, but you know, nothing beats Deloused, mm-hmm. you know. I was like, oh shit, like this one. I think it was Amputecture. I was like, this is so cool because it's like so it's so them. It's like their progression into and then like their last the last one that I was into before I stopped listening to the records was um Bedlam and Goliath. And then that one was like really produced pop. And I love them all for different reasons. So mm-hmm. I'm not that type of person who's like you need to always do the same thing. That's so boring. And if people don't like it, then like deal with it. As, <laughs> no, I yeah. think I think that's really respectful as well. I mean, I, I mean, there's been plenty of musicians over the past like fucking fifty years. We could say that you know they've gone with when they started off in one direction and they just kind of branch off into all these other genres and you know they just gain more fans through their music that way. And you know you can take an old song and turn it into a new song just as easily. And I think that's kind of something where you want to like direct yourself like with like, you don't want to just keep this dream boy sound going, this trust sound going, you know, you want to like explore your creativity and Mm -hmm. yeah, all the power too. I mean, like if you can put out a country trap album, like who's to say you shouldn't, you know, who's to say you can't do it. Like, yeah, I actually really love it when people say I shouldn't or can't, because that usually makes me like, do it faster. Well, it makes better. you want to. It makes you want to prove them wrong, right? Like, yeah. Fuck, fuck you! I can't. Here, I'm going to do it just to prove you wrong. No. Yeah, totally. And There's no great. better fuel for the fire than people's being <laughs> dum dums or assholes. You know. Yeah. A quick question, just to backtrack a little bit. We'll get off this country uh, trap subject. Taking Dream Boy into a, like a live atmosphere, like you're on stage. Uh, before we got into all this, you were saying how sort of like change what you're doing. And I think Riley was speaking on it, like how you're never really kind of keeping the same sound. You're always trying to sort of improvise on things, so to speak. Do you find that happens on the stage as well? Like if we, if we were to go and see you live, uh, would we expect to hear what we're hearing from the EP or are we going to hear like something completely brand new out of it? Uh, that's a good question. Actually, you will probably hear things that sound very similar to the EP. Um, but the only thing that might be different is the way that I vocalize the songs um, in a slight way. Like, because for the live show, I try to focus on, um, you know, emotionally connecting to the audience and singing. Mm-hmm. So I will sing with samples and tracks and then I will play like a touch of guitar here and there if I want to. But um, so things sound mostly uniform. And then if I want to sing it in a, you know, more country way or like in a different intonation, then I will. That that might sound different. But generally, it sounds pretty close to the EP. Yeah, I, that's something interesting. I, I, I found uh, that not all producers are successful in translating what they do on an album to something that is palatable. Uh, to a live audience like there's different expectations and it, so you found doing things with sort of more uh, emphasis on vocals is, is something that connects with people more well that's my thing like I am i I think the way that I connect with people is through I think the reason I make music is like because I love that melody it's probably why I love country so much and like singing to me is the best way that I can express myself. Mm-hmm. 
So I try just to focus on that because when I go see somebody who I know is a really good singer, I don't want to see them like twiddling knobs because I don't care. Like I don't (laughs) care to know that they're doing that. Yeah. I want to see their true spirit shine through through what they do best, which is maybe for me, it's like singing. Mm-hmm. I can play, like, I'm a professional keyboard player. I can do that really well, too. But it's not that interesting to watch me do that. So I try to keep it simple and just, like, stick to what I love, which is singing. And if I had other players with me on stage, which would be for sure in the future, like, there'd be live drums, there'd be live stuff, but it's just not a realistic thing at the moment. So then I'm like, what's more important, like, playing all the stuff live or singing? So it's singing. So there is a, a one question that we ask everybody who comes on uh, to Stonehall Sessions. And if you listen to any of them, you might be prepared for it. Uh, but if not, we just sort of, we try uh, with the noblest of intentions to figure out if the person who we're talking to is sort of, a, uh, is a real artist or sort of a, uh, a charlatan, I would suppose, uh, a charlatan of music. Uh, and, and, and the easiest way to do that is to ask them, uh, who do they prefer, prefer more, uh, or who has had more of an influence on their career, uh, Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins? Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like yeah, I feel like I'm gonna like in your book answer wrongly, but <laughs> let me explain. It's probably Phil Collins because he has those like you know really emotive melodies. And I feel like Peter Gabriel is just too busy. And I'm like, whenever I listen to his music, I'm like, oh, just flip it. Should we just pause the podcast so we can all collectively <laughs> listen to Mercy Street for seven minutes and then come back and retake this question? Is that a Peter, Peter yeah, Gabriel? Only, only Peter Gabriel fans know that, really. <laughs> come on now. Yeah, it's a, it, 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 it's, a, uh, it's a very nice Peter Gabriel song. But uh, no, that's interesting. Um, could you elaborate on that more? Because a lot of people well, like, say Phil Collins because he's sort of the sound of the 80s, I guess. Or because you know, he wrote, he wrote in like, the air there. Like, yeah. You know, that song, I mean, for the easiest <laughs> example, it's like, I can feel it. You know, that song coming in the air tonight or whatever. Yeah. Like, that song is so moody. Peter Gabriel is just like, it's the same reason why I'm not into David Byrne that much. Or um, who's the other guy? Uh, anyway. It's just, it's like too happy or too, it's too, it's like too, it's just not my, my taste, but I think I prefer things that are really simple and like moody. I don't know that much Phil Collins other than that song though, to tell you the truth. Like what else did he do? He did like the, uh, Tarzan soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, what song did he do for that? All of it. Oh, yeah, that was back when Disney would hire one person, like Elton John did Lion King, uh, Lion King yeah. and then uh, Sting did... Uh, I don't like Sting that much. The other day I was listening to The Police in the Car, and I was like, I just don't like this band. See, I like Police a lot more than I like Sting. I can't really stand Sting, but I can listen. I have, like, Police albums at home I can throw in any time and enjoy, but... I worked at a bar where the owner was like had to play Desert Rose like at least three times <laughs> in the night, and yeah, it was really annoying. But I think he did it to piss us all off. Probably. I will say there is a really nice pleasure that all of us can partake in in going and watching all these guys: Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel, Sting, anybody who's like 
gained popularity in the 70s and watched their music videos in the 2000s mm-hmm. because they obviously hired whatever director was sort of on the up and up to do i need something that's really in the now and now it mm-hmm. is all just like hilariously dated it's uh oh yeah it's, yeah it's incredible course. but i mean i don't know if that was obviously the wrong answer for you guys but um it was like tough because i don't like any of those guys that much <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest I don't care either way. Riley is a huge uh, Peter Gabriel fan, but I love hearing, seeing his reaction when everyone, anyone says Phil Collins. So well, I, I yeah. think you are in my heart. At its at it, oh oh, that was terrible. <laughs> at, at its core, the question is really uh, because they both helmed Genesis for a while. One was the more artistic. Let's let's do a whole album uh, based around essentially nonsense. It was. I mean, I it. love Rush. Does that count? If you guys like uh, concept albums. I love Rush. I think Rush are dope. And they're actually from my home. They recorded an album in Thornhill, Ontario. Oh, no way. Fun fact, yeah. One of my best friend's mother used to date Geddy Lee. He's like so (laughs) cute in a way, but so not my type. But yeah, I wouldn't say no. (laughs) I'd go to like Swish LA with Geddy Lee. Yeah. That's the most and, Canadian I mean, sense I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I'm proud to be Canadian. In fact, I kind of miss Canada now that I've always like, I love both countries. I love America and Canada, but I miss being in Canada. I went to a chicken place last night and I kept thinking about how it just wasn't even as good as, it wasn't even close to Swish LA. <laughs> <laughs> but how many, how many elderly couples at 4.30 trying to get the early bird special were there? See, that's how I got into Swish LA's through my grandparents. Yeah, exactly. You'd go we there as go a kid? All, all, yeah, after school. You get Probably a Shirley Temple? Oh, yes, yeah. I Shirley would. Shirley Temple's for sure. Yeah. yeah. You get it just for the maraschino water at the end of oh, your fingers off. But my grandma would try to rip the sauce out of my hands because I would drink it like. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be like, no, girls don't do that. And I'm like, well, I do. Too late. <laughs> Yeah, grandparents are not uh, ones to really let you live your truth, especially in a Swiss chalet. No. Um, but they're going back there the next week. <laughs> <laughs> they can't be married. <laughs> Thank you.